He's fighting back. They're right above us, folks. And I don't like it a damn bit. Oh, my God. Look out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very muzzy wrestling podcast. This is the fifteenth episode of the show. Uh, I, I, of course, I am Matt. I'm Sammy. We're married. You say it. And we're going to talk about wrestling. What kind of wrestling? Okay, wrestling. This is now an amateur wrestling podcast. We will only be covering collegiate and uh, Olympic level athletics. No more fake bullshit. We're talking about professional wrestling. Say it. Professional wrestling. Wrestling. It feels good to be back with you all. It's been a few weeks again. Uh, You know, we're kind of just taking our time with things. Uh, Today we are having a a bit of a blast to the past, a little bit of a uh, trip down memory lane. We're going back to the Attitude Era, and we are going to be talking about the 1998 King of the Ring. So for the uh, the uninitiated, this this is one of the most infamous shows in the history of the uh, Attitude Era. The Monday Night Wars really swung momentum in the favor of the WWF uh, because it features one of the uh, the most historic, one of the most talked about, one of the most iconic, legendary matches of all time. And I simply cannot wait to talk about Al Snow and Head versus Too Much on this show. I thought like the way that. You've always built up this show because of one match. I thought the show as a whole was going to be a lot better than it was. If uh, obviously I was I was joking about that that tag team match, although that that does happen, and uh, I sure have thoughts about it. This show is known primarily for the Hell in a Cell bout between uh, the Undertaker and Mankind. Um, anybody who's ever watched wrestling knows of this match. They know the uh, the memes. Uh, where the Undertaker threw mankind off a 20-foot high steel cage in 1998, but yeah, without that match, this show is a—it's a boring slog, and I, I didn't anticipate it being quite as bleh as it was. I noticed something when we were watching it. So every time we watch a show, we we, 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 we I can't speak, obviously. So we rate the matches. Yes. And um, I'm always, I always notice when I look back at my notes, I'm always super forgiving with the first match. The first match is always the most highly rated, even if it's not the best match on the show. Because I'm like, okay, well, this was a pretty decent match. So I'm going to give it a good rating. And then like the show just goes downhill. And I realized that like, I probably should have given the first match something lower, (laughs) but I had higher expectations. I think you did the same thing with Halloween Havoc 2000. I do that with every show. I always give the, I always, because I use seven kind of as like a, I started, I know I should start at a five because that's like right in the middle, but I kind of start at a seven. I'm like, okay, this was a good match. It got the crowd hype. It starts off the show. That's what it's supposed to do. Get the crowd hype. Yeah. Get the crowd ready. But I always realize that I give it like a too high of a rating. And then like later on, I'm giving like a match that's probably better than it, a lower rating because I'm just so, you realize how weak the show is in actuality. You start grading on a curve. So then when you watch like three shitty matches in a row, you finally get to something worthwhile. And it's almost like a higher rating based just on default at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so you give the first match a good rating, you see some shit, you go back down to, like, a two, and then you see something amazing, and you're realizing you're giving it a five, and you're like, well, this was actually better than the first match, but I was being so forgiving with the first match (laughs) that this is still just, like, a four. (laughs) I I guess the beauty of that is, if in terms of your own ratings, is as we go back through this today, you have your initial rating written down, but if you want to change it, you can do that. Because it's your opinion, and you can do whatever you want. We have opinions that are not popular. This is the Very Muzzy Wrestling Opinion Podcast, and if you don't like it, then don't listen to us. I possibly have the most unpopular (laughs) wrestling opinion of all time, so that's fine. What? I liked Roman Reigns before he was healed. (laughs) How could you love that handsome devil of a man? Um, but, um, yeah, so King of the Ring 1998. Why did we settle on King of the Ring 1998? Um, for the past, God, probably year and a half now, we've been doing a slow, it's, it's slowing down, a watch through of the WWF throughout 1996, ideally through the entire Attitude Era, 2001, but who knows how long that's going to take, uh, because we just recently entered into June of 1998, and um, I was thinking, what could be our next thing? And I realized that the next pay-per-view coming up was King of the Ring. Now, we've watched the Hell in a Cell match before. We have a very interesting story about that. And I will share it when we get to the Hell in a Cell match. But it was coming up, and I'm thinking the magnitude of this match, the, the entire feeling of Steve Austin carrying the company into the summer The Monday Night Wars really heating up. WWF is about to take the lead from WCW, and they're not going to look back. I figured this would be a pretty fantastic show to cover for the next episode of the podcast. Uh, So here we are. We watched this show about two and a half weeks ago, um, and we are going to record it today because we finally have a few moments to ourselves. I act like I didn't have all the time in the world there for a few weeks, um, but now that time is gone, and uh, we we take what we can. So we are... uh, we're going to dive right in. King of the Ring 1998. Are you ready to go? Yes, sir. King of the Ring 1998 took place on June 28th, 1998. One day before your esteemed host's seventh birthday. Aww. Aww. I'm so old. <laughs> uh, this magnum opus of WWF Attitude Era pay-per-view activities took place in pittsburgh pennsylvania at the civic center to an attendance live attendance of 17,087 people so 17,087 people got to witness the rock versus dan severn is that pretty average for a pay-per-view back then because i feel like now they're like we have 38,000 people and i know that's like a wrestlemania or a SummerSlam. oh yeah i mean that's pretty that's standard for a, a re- like an arena show okay like a little caesar's arena for our sake, would probably hold about that. Uh, 385,000 people bought this show on pay-per-view. Uh, so all in total, while the show was happening, about 40, uh, Jesus, about 400,000 people got to witness the epic showdown between Billy and Bart Gunn during their tag team match. <laughs> There's so much to it. Let's let's dive right in. It's the summer of 1998. On top, of course, is your WWF champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin. This pay-per-view was going to feature the uh, semifinal and finals of the King of the Ring tournament, which had been going on for a few years now. The previous winner, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, was already knocked out of this tournament, but he does do some pretty fantastic commentary later on that I'm excited to touch on. 
Uh, the introduction to this show, it's your 1998 video editing, a lot of, uh, a lot of dark imagery. We have the voice of the late, great Freddie Blassie. He is highlighting the stories going into this show. Um, obviously, we've touched on Mankind versus The Undertaker, but the main event for this show is a first blood match for the WWF Championship between Stone Cold Steve Austin and, uh, that's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane. You think Kane's gonna bleed in that in that red mask in that full body red suit of his? <laughs> How would you even know if he was bleeding? It's gonna be the same color as the suit. <laughs> I thought that the whole time. I was like, well, Kane's not gonna lose, or Kane's yeah, Kane's not gonna win. I'm sorry. And then I was like, but he's wearing all red and he has a mask and he has the stupid voice box. The stupid fucking <laughs> voice box. Don't forget about the voice box that um, the stipulation to the main event is that if Kane does not beat Stone Cold Steve Austin for the championship, I'm going to set myself on fire. That's pretty. Same. <laughs> Halfway through uh, the, the Al Snow match, I was thinking to myself, I will light myself on fire. Yeah, I have, we've said this, we've touched on this before. I have a really hard time sitting through a wrestling show. I really do. I pull out the phone. I I go get snacks. Yeah, I we, just, I have a really rough time watching wrestling. anything we watch. Sam pretends to like wrestling, but then anytime we watch a show that she pretends to be excited about, the phone's out within the first three minutes of the first match. I... I like wrestling. Old, old neck-ass, excited for the GCW Fight Club neck-ass, spent the first half of the show last night texting your friends neck-ass. Okay, so I'm usually really good with GCW shows, and I like unlike WrestleManias and stuff, I'm usually pretty good about. It's just I, I am a millennial, and I am addicted to my cell phone. I have an Ami at all times, and I, I, I open it a lot when I shouldn't. Women, am I right, fellas? The ladies and their technology. I never check my phone during events. You're on your phone all the fucking time. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, it's okay, because you know what? You paid attention. You took the notes, and that's all I can ask of you. Uh, we were we were speaking about Kane. The stipulation is he will set himself on fire if he does not beat Stone Cold Steve Austin. And speaking of on fire, this crowd is hot. It's an Attitude Era crowd, man. Like, you could put anything out there, and they're going to be going unglued. But uh, on this night, they are coming unglued for the King of the Ring 1998, which is presented by Super Soaker. Does that take you back? I never had a Super Soaker. Did you ever have a water gun? I want to say no, but I know if I say that and I did, my mother will call me if she hears this and say, I had gave you a water gun. <laughs> so yeah, I probably had a water gun. Samantha, you had a Super Soaker. <laughs> Love you, Mom. <laughs> uh, and the crowd loves their signs. There are so many signs. You don't see that shit anymore. I don't even know if you're allowed to take signs to the shows anymore. But back in the day, it actually probably would have been a pain in the ass to go to an Attitude Era show because you wouldn't be seeing nothing. Yeah. Sign, sign, everywhere, sign. Yeah, you see little you know kids with... No. Oh, I... Sign, sign, oh, no. everywhere, I thought you were what? talking about I saw the sign. Uh, well, that too, but you don't know sign. Everywhere. Who is that? Tesla, maybe. Who's Tesla? The car made by Elon Musk. <laughs> Happy Sunday, bitches. Um, so Sam doesn't know that song. That's fine. 
What were you going to say? I don't remember. Just Okay. Uh, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler are on the call for the 6th annual King of the Ring pay-per-view. 93, 94, 95, 96, 96. Yeah, that's six. That's six, baby. Uh, your winners up to this point of the tournament. I'm going off memory, so let's see if I fuck this up. 1993, Brett the Hitman Hart. Gone at this point. He's no longer around. 1994, Owen Hart. He's got about 11 months to go. Uh, 1995, King Mabel. No longer around. 1996, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the infamous Austin 316 promo, led to where he is today. Not today, uh, October 10th, 2021, but on June 28th, 98, as your WWF champion and the 1997 winner, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Who will join those men and make history tonight? That was only five. This is the sixth one. Oh, okay. I thought, okay. There's only five okay. to this point. Of course, we see the Hell in a Cell is hanging high above the ring here in Pittsburgh. Uh, these people have no idea what they're going to witness here tonight. Um... There are cans of gasoline at ringside, which is strange because they're not going to need them for at least two and a half hours, but I guess it's better to be prepared than not prepared. Are you ready for the first match of the evening? Of what course. is the first match? You lead us up. The first match is the Headbangers with Taka Michinoku, which I'm pretty sure I spelled incorrectly, versus Kai and Tai. And I couldn't, I didn't know how to pronounce Kai and Tai. So I literally wrote Kai, K Y, and. Thai, like the Thai food. Thai food and KY jelly. Sounds like my kind of night. Oh, yeah, at the same time. <laughs> we're going to spice it up. I hate myself. Um, how did you spell Michinoku? M-I-T-C-H-A-N-O-K-U. That's, I think that's pretty close. I just wrote Taka, all in capital letters, because, you know... Taka Michinoku. Thank you, Sonny, for pronouncing that correct. I, I'm, I've said this before. I am fucking shocked she never fucked up his name. I mean, yeah, me too. Is it because she's a, a woman or because she's high as fuck on painkillers all the time? Both. Or because it's a hard name to pronounce. That would have been my first. No, Michinoku is not hard to pronounce. That's one of the easier names. Showing up to the arena just blitzed out of her mind she's like we're a hawk and animal no sonny you need to go out there and call taka michinoku to the ring for the 13th goddamn week in a row all right i can do that that was my sonny impression very cool cool (laughs) very cool (laughs) (laughs) taka michinoku is your wwf light heavyweight champion at the time he is dressed up like the headbangers they all got their i don't know like skirts and marilyn manson t-shirts and such Never forget when Taka Michinoku won that belt, and I'm like, is this important? And you just shrugged, and that pretty much <laughs> describes it. They brought him in in the uh, summer or fall of 97, and they treated him seriously for all of two weeks. They're like, this is the biggest import free agent in history. He's going to be big time. He's our inaugural light heavyweight champion. And then, you know, just goes into a feud with Jerry Lawler being racist towards him, and they never uh, push him further than this. Yeah, I have like four notes about this match, and every single one of them is. So the first one is Kai and Ty looks like an Asian boy band, and then the rest are all about Lawler being racist. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as we start this off, we learned that this is the first of two bonus matches on the night. This was not announced on this card prior to it hitting the air. So the people live in Pittsburgh and us as well are so lucky to have had this added on. This should be a barn burner full of work rate, and it's, it's going to get the crowd hot. Funaki is there. He's part of Kai and Tai. Kai and Tai was, of course, Funaki, Dick Togo, 
and the third guy, whose name I can't remember. What? What's his name? Dick to go. Dick Togo. Dick to go. Dick Togo. Honey, <laughs> uh, we're talking KY Jelly, Typhoon, and Dick to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, fuck it. wonder what Nash was doing on this night. Um, Drinking a beer, sitting at home, counting his money. I'm sitting around the TV. I'm sitting with Scott. We're watching, listening to Hunter's commentary. Fucking guy's hilarious, man. He's got jokes. What is no joke is the fact that Kane may set himself on fire tonight. Commentary touches on that again as we start this off. Uh, Tao, Tao, Jesus Christ, and Thrasher start the match off. The crowd is actually pretty hot for Takamichi Noku. He, uh, he gets a chance to start the show off. I have a note that says, you would like to take a shot for each racist comment that Lawler makes. The, yeah, like I said, that was my whole thing is um, Lawler was very racist the whole time but what do you expect from jerry lawler he's jerry lawler i hate him is he still alive yeah he still does like pre-show stuff for them oh yeah he does that's never mind with that's... his weird home where he has a bunch of like coca-cola decorations and shit I... posting shirtless selfies on instagram at like 70 you still follow him i know but i see things oh i see things lawler get off instagram damn it um, Funaki comes in, immediately gets powerbombed. We learn that Funaki is a former UWA middleweight champion. And uh, to that I say, I did not know that because I'm a former UWA world heavyweight champion and I never crossed paths with one show Funaki. But I'm, uh, I'm willing to step in the ring and show him what a real champion's all about. <clears throat> Nothing. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Takamichinoku has decided that he is hungry and with Jim Ross at ringside being the barbecue connoisseur that he is... Taka has decided to take Funaki to the chop house and lays in some knife-edge chops on the chest of one Funaki. Taka with a nice plancha to the outside. Dick Togo comes in. There's some good teamwork by Kai and Tai. They're working Taka Michinoku. There is work rate by Kai and Tai here. Uh, there's more hype for the main event. Uh, they bring up Stone Cold vs. Kane again. I realize at this point they have not brought up the King of the Ring tournament at this point. The King of the Ring, while it was a pay-per-view for a few years, the tournament was really only the focal point for a couple years, and it kind of fell off hard after that. Uh, it stuck around probably longer than uh, than it needed to, but I, I miss the King of the Ring pay-per-view. I like tournaments. They're interesting. They're bringing it back. There's going to be a King of the Ring this year. Yeah, but it's... I like I liked when it was its own pay-per-view, but now they just... And it's never... It never, like, has anything to do with anything. I think now they're just doing it because they want to pop ratings. Uh, pop a rating, pop a crowd. So they're doing a King of the Ring tournament in 2021, and great. But, like, this this used to have purpose. And I especially liked, in 2002, they decided the King of the Ring winner was going to go on to face the champion at SummerSlam. And Brock Lesnar won that tournament and went to SummerSlam to beat The Rock to become the undisputed champion. And then they got away with the pay-per-view the next year. So, fuck that idea, right? Yeah. Jerry Lawler. Shouts out all of his fans around the world, and I know for a fact that six-year-old Sammy Davey was sitting there with a Jerry Lawler t-shirt on, smiling and happy for the acknowledgement. Six-year-old Sammy Davey was probably watching Beauty and the Beast and eating hot dogs and waffles. (laughs) (laughs) My mom has so many pictures of me. There's literally a picture of me out there with the fucking fake jewelry on. I have, like, like a crown made out of, like, fake pearls. 
And I'm sitting there with like my Polly Pockets on the table. You can see it. I think it's Pocahontas in the background. And I'm eating a hot dog and a waffle. Did you ever eat like a waffle, like a hot dog, but using a waffle for the bun? No, I would just eat like my mom would cut up my waffles and put syrup and butter on them. And then I would have a hot dog with ketchup on the side. And sometimes I would dip my hot dog in the ketchup and the syrup. <laughs> like you would, like you would a piece of sausage. Oh, that's fucking different. What, now, did the hot dog have a bun or did you just cut up the hot no, dog? No, I didn't like buns on my hot dogs when I was a child. Well, yeah, when you're young, you just take the hot dog and you cut it up. And you dip the chunks into ketchup. Right? Yes. Yeah. So you would dip a hot dog into syrup, though? Ketchup and syrup. Well, oh, jeez. I was six. Oh, jeez. You act like I was 28 doing this. Would you do it now? I do it with sausage sometimes. Would you do it with a hot dog? No, not with a hot dog. I do it with sausage sometimes. Well. If I have, like, sausage and pancakes and my ketchup and syrup kind of mixed together. I dip my <laughs> I dip my sausage in ketchup, and I feel like that's weird. That's not weird. I, I, I do that, but I love ketchup. I'll dip anything in ketchup. You're like, so I do it too, and I've always been self-conscious about it, but like if we're eating a burger, and he has like ketchup on the side for fries, he'll dip the whole ass burger in ketchup. I don't care. I do that too, and I've never done it, because I've made it, I feel like it makes me just look like a fat pig, but when I notice him doing it, I'm like, it's okay for me to do it, and I feel validated. (laughs) I love ketchup. If I'm eating a sandwich, if I'm eating a wrap, like on a tortilla, and I have ketchup on my plate, I'll dunk the fucking thing in ketchup. I don't care. Give me Heinz tomatoey goodness. <laughs> There's a wrestling match going on. <laughs> Taka Michinoku comes back in with the headbangers. They clear house on Kai and Tai. There's a big splash by Taka, and he hits a Michinoku driver on Funaki for the 1 2 3. Uh, if you think we didn't talk a whole lot about that match, that's because we kind of covered everything that happens. <laughs> It's uh, it's real, real basic, real. It's a decent opener, I guess. You know, the crowd's hot for Taka and the Headbangers, and some decent action. Nothing overtly boring. I, I gave her a a five out of ten. Um, any thoughts for you? I gave it a seven out of ten because, like I said, seven you go my... two points over the yeah. fucking top. So yeah, so I'd probably put it down to like a four point, like seven five. It's almost a five. Well, you went from a seven to a four point seven five. Yes, because I use seven as my baseline, not five, like a normal fucking human being. Seven's not a base. What are you, IGN? What's IGN? They review video games. Oh. It's like a meme where like they can rip a video game to shreds and still give it like a seven point two. Oh, okay. Be like the online experience is bad, graphical glitches galore, not too much fun to play. Seven point eight out of ten, IGN. <laughs> Are you uh, you ready? Uh, you ready for Sable? Ouch! Um, yeah. So Jerry, the, Jerry the King Lawler is asked about his opinion on the Al Snow and Head versus Too Much match, and they make another reference to Brian Christopher being Jerry Lawler's son. Uh, rest in peace, Brian Christopher. I suppose. Um, and out comes Sable in the crowd, man. Sable's over in 1998. I wrote Sable and her fake titties are over like Rover. She was uh, she was like an icon. She was like the second most popular person in the whole company besides Austin. Yeah. The WWF faithful. They like their fucking Goggins always, man. <clears throat> Is that all you have to say? Do you want me to go on about fake titties? Like, I don't understand. Um, There's a... There's a sign in the crowd that says Sable 469. 
You know, much like Austin 316. I hate people. Sable 469. Um, Sable comes out. I, I did not know that she had a side gig working the fruit stand downtown because she comes to the ring smuggling two watermelons in her shirt. He So I wrote down a note that Lawler said they're, they're giving her a, a standing, I, I can't read my writing, they're giving her an, a standing boobation or someone. Oh my god. Or someone says, no, hold on. I don't know what this note says. So I think Lawler said it, but I didn't write, like, context. It says they gave him in a standing boobation. So I don't know if that's about Sable or someone else. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Well, well uh, she introduces Vince McMahon to come out. So okay, I think I think Lawler said that about Vince McMahon. Yeah, giving him an astounding boobation. Yeah, and I really enjoy that word, boobation. I think I'm going to um, incorporate it into my everyday vocabulary. You should. Um, I have a quote here. Uh, Jim Ross, while Sable is making her way to the ring, says, My buddies back home would marry her dog just to be a part of her family, King. <laughs> so then what? And you're just going to want to bone your freaking stepsister through dog marriage? Wait, they would marry her dog. So technically she would be their mother-in-law, kind of. <laughs> you love your mother-in-law. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this is off the rails. This is, yeah, well, it's nice. <laughs> it's, it's been a minute since we watched this, so, like, none of my notes <laughs> make sense to me. Like, I wrote poor Pat Patterson with a, like, sad face, and I don't know if he said something or did something or if I just wrote that because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. Why are you laughing? <laughs> peace pat god damn it do you not even remember what happens on the show okay sam writes down anecdotes and i write down what happens so somewhere in here we're going to get to the bottom of this sable introduces vince mcmahon they, he comes out with gerald briscoe and the recently deceased pat patterson god damn there's been an angle ongoing where sable was uh, released from the wwf because she lost a match against her former husband mark marrow who uh, they had a match where if she lost, she would go away. Vince brings her back. We have not yet learned why, but she's been uh, introducing him every week. And uh, they come into the ring, and um, what happens is uh, Pat Patterson gives Sable a tap on the ass when she's out of her way out of the ring, and Sable slaps Pat Patterson. Could that be why you wrote for Pat Patterson? <coughs> Excuse me. So I did write poor Pat Patterson with a sad face, and then I wrote, yeah, fuck women. So possibly. So, okay. So because, so you are celebrating Pat Patterson's sexism and slapping Sable on the ass. No, I think I'm just trying to write notes that make sense, but also trying to write, like, commentary. I don't know what's going on. My next note is Pittsburgh more like Britsburg. So who the fuck knows what I was thinking at this time? Are you making Britt Baker notes on the King of the Ring 90? Apparently I was. What the fuck is Why? Oh my God! Uh, the 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 Stooges take turns with the microphone. Gerald Briscoe demands that the crowd show them respect. Vince McMahon takes the microphone and asks if the crowd wants to see Stone Cold Steve Austin lose or to see Kane set on fire. I have a note saying that Vince McMahon has small dick energy. He has. 
massive freaking swinging meat sword energy. What are you talking about? Uh, they they show shots of the crowd giving crotch chops to Vince McMahon as he speaks because it is 1998. And uh, Vince McMahon then uh, then drops a line, which I do believe is the line he gives to his current roster of talent before he releases 32 of them to sign with AEW when he says, your lives have been disappointments. <laughs> he's, uh, he's talking to the crowd about how, you know, nobody there knows what it's like to be him or to be one of the Stooges because they all work their nine to five and they come home to their ugly wife and they've all been disappointments i feel like nowadays vince mcmahon when he lets people go he gives he just gives them a note with tony khan's phone number and he's like here you can give him a call in 45 business days (laughs) yeah you go make your money pal and then when you come crawling back to me in three years we'll pretend this whole thing never happened you son of a bitch (laughs) i'm gonna say this vince mcmahon in his prime is the best heel of all time he's so fucking good like, he's the reason the Attitude Era worked out so well that it did. Like, I'm sorry, Bret Hart, but if the screw job didn't happen, Vince never becomes an on-screen character like that, and I shudder to think where things ended up. It'd be a whole hell of a lot different. Bret Hart would probably be a lot happier with his life. <laughs> like... Well, sometimes Bret Hart has to make sacrifices for the betterment of the wrestling industry. That's the way that it is. Poor Bret Hart. You know, they screw me, and he goes on to be the top heel of all time. When I go over to the WCW and get my goddamn head kicked in by Bill Goldberg, and then I get to look over here, and Vince McMahon's telling people to prepare for the inevitable. And then he killed my fucking brother, Owen. <laughs> and then Vince McMahon made money hand over fist, and that's the, that's the, uh, the lesson. It doesn't matter if you're a good person or not. If you're bad, you win. I just picture Vince getting ready, listening to I Wanna Be Bad by Willow Ford. <laughs> I, I wanna be bad. Make it hurt so good. I've got things on my mind. I never thought I would. I wanna be bad. <laughs> you like this song, Walt? <laughs> I can't. I want to be bad. Oh, I oh. am looking forward to Walt Disney being unfrozen soon. Let's and, fucking um, go. You know, going into business with um, Mr. McMahon. Going into business with Vince, going into business for himself. That's what I'm interested in. Um, you know, although we are watching a pay-per-view that's 21 years old, we get a uh, commercial break because we're watching on Peacock. Rest in peace to WWE Network. WWE Network going down and going to Peacock, I think, is what killed our podcast. <laughs> it did. It ruined everything. It was so much fucking easier to watch stuff on Peacock because you could actually search for just matches. You mean you WWE could... Network? I'm sorry, yeah. It was so much easier to watch things on the WWE Network as it was because you could just search for matches. Like, you could search, like, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, and you'd get six matches of theirs. And now you can only look up the show... There's no skip match function. You have these dumbass commercials, which are like 60 seconds long, wherever they decide to throw them in. And, like, everything's so much worse now. And it did. When that went down, it really ruined the quality of this podcast. Because now I have to really try to find things. Yeah, like, now, like, if we do, like, a retrospect, like, we have to, like, just fast forward. (laughs) And then, yeah, and for anybody who remembered a few months ago, I was using a VPN. I was using an English IP address to try to access the network. Allegedly. 
allegedly, and uh, they blocked it. They blocked that access, so it's impossible to do. So Peacock is just our current, our present, our future, then now forever. Fucking hate it. But anyway, as we return from our commercial break, we finally get some tournament hype. Um, our semifinal matches are going to be Ken Shamrock versus Jeff Jarrett and The Rock versus Dan Severn. And we're going to get right into match number two, which is a King of the Ring match. And um, give it over to our boy Tennessee Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the world's greatest wrestler, the world's greatest entertainer, and I am the world's greatest promoter, Tennessee Lee. Now give it up for my man, J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. Ain't he great? I wrote, I wrote two notes about this match. Yeah. Um, one says, Jeff Jarrett is just a dollar store clearance honky-tonk man. Wow. And the other one is, Shamrock loves steroids. That's all you wrote now? Yeah. Oh, and that the match was predictable. Do you, do you, do you even care about work rate? I don't even remember this match. <laughs> uh, as Jeff Jarrett makes his way to the ring, he will be facing Ken Shamrock. The winner moves on to the finals of the 98 King of the Ring. There is a sign in the crowd that says, Double J, ain't he gay? <laughs> <laughs> because it is the 90s. And these things are still acceptable to say. Uh, Jeff Jarrett is a fucking dork, man. At this point, like he did his gimmick in 95 and 96 and then went to WCW and came back and cut this weird shoot promo about how he ain't gonna let Vince McMahon hold me down anymore. And then a few months later, yeah, you're doing the old gimmick there, you little bitch, aren't you? Gotta, gotta get that fucking dirt WWF bad bad money. Uh, Ken Shamrock makes his way to the ring, and uh, they don't outright say it, but I came to the conclusion that he had recently uh, watched the infomercial for the Magic Bullet and bought himself one because it appears that he's juicing <laughs> in 1998. Yeah. Steroids. Yeah, yeah. He was clearly on most of the roster at this point was clearly on roids. Like no, it's like that's not true. Yeah. Shut up, Vince. Um, no, <laughs> it was clear like from like ninety five to like two thousand five, like we would like watch matches and these guys would be not small, but like not like to the fucking gills. And then two weeks later, they would look like a different fucking human being. Yeah, like, you know, they had the steroid trial and the controversy in the early 90s. But by the end of the 90s, like, people had forgotten or they didn't care. Or wrestling got so hot that everyone just started pumping up. You had the steroid baseball players, too. This is the era of Maguire and Sosa and Rafael Palmero. Jose Canseco. Canseco. Jose Canseco. Jesse the Body Ventura was not a baseball player i just wanted to say his name <laughs> but yeah you know i mean it's pretty obvious there were some people on steroids for quite a long time like the early 2000s triple h goes from looking like a normal dude to looking like he's wearing like a water inflated suit yeah they bring in scott steiner and uh, they didn't really take any of it seriously until eddie guerrero died because he fucked his heart up now granted he had a long history of drug use and all that but it was also them, them fucking needles in the ass cheeks giving you muscles. Viva la raza. What does that mean? Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. But rest in peace, Eduardo. Jeff Jarrett attacks Ken Shamrock at the bell. There is some decent back and forth action. This, uh, 
it's hard to analyze these matches because they're all incredibly short. Attitude Era Wrestling was not known for going long. Like, if you watch a Raw from this time and the match goes longer than three minutes, it's, it's a spectacle. Uh, Ken Shamrock got hit in the eye. His eye gets closed up. The fight spills to the outside. Shamrock is whooping on Jarrett's ass, and Jarrett wants to call for a timeout. But Ken Shamrock says, no, Mr. Jarrett, there is no timeout in professional wrestling in the sport of kings. Shamrock has the upper momentum, but then Tennessee Lee helps to get his boy the upper hand. Uh, Jarrett is targeting Ken Shamrock's injured ankle in the weeks leading up to this. The Nation of Domination had attacked Ken Shamrock, injuring his ankle. Uh, Ken regains the momentum and hits a nice power slam. He hits a hurricanrana and then locks in an ankle lock, and Jeff Jarrett taps out in 5 minutes and 29 seconds. So Ken Shamrock is moving on to the finals of the 1998 King of the Ring. Yeah, the, my, my only post-match note is I try to write post-match notes, but my only post-match fault for this is uh, that Shamrock does not sound how he looks. No, he's got like, this very intimidating presence, and he takes the mic, and he's just like, I'm telling you what, I'm going to keep fighting. Yeah, you expect That's him it. to kind of not like have like a Triple H voice, but kind of. Like, be like that, I'm going to be, and he just sounds like someone's dad. Bro, I don't. I'm going to spoil the finals right now, because if I don't now, I'm going to forget about it. We just, Ken Shamrock wins the King of the Ring tournament um, in about 20 minutes or so. You'll know that for sure. But the next night on Raw, we just watched that, and he cuts the worst, most dog shit promo I've ever heard in my fucking life. Yeah, we will talk about that Raw a little bit, because um, we, we might have to do an, another podcast because of something that gets started on the next night's Raw. Oh my god. The Brawl for All. Yeah, Shamrock, so he wins this tournament, and it's supposed to be like a launching stone into like being the upper echelon of champion. And he comes out the next night and just cuts the most milk toast, boring ass, like, I fought hard, I always fight hard, and I won, and I'm going to keep doing what's right. And then Triple H and Owen Hart come out, and they just overshadow him in every way. Yeah. So Shamrock's uh, push kind of dies out after this. This is probably his peak this night. Uh, but for now, Ken Shamrock moving on to the finals where he will face somebody. Uh, Tennessee Lee comes in. He gets suplexed because Ken Shamrock's off the fucking rails. Match was very short. Hard to really get too into it. I gave it a four and a half out of ten. I gave it a five out of ten. I'll keep it at that. I mean, yeah, it's essentially the same. Uh, Michael Cole interviews Shamrock after the match. Shamrock says he is never going to be second best. He's moving on to the finals to win. Uh, we have ourselves another commercial break. And it appears at this point of the evening, I opened up a beer. I don't know why I wrote this down. I had a Samuel Adams Boston Lager <laughs> to get us cooked off into the second King of the Ring semifinal between The Rock and Dan the Beast Severin. Also, just in comparison of like our different note-taking tactics, he's on like page like two of his notes. I'm still on page one. And I write two notes on a line. I write big. <laughs> yeah i'm a i'm a student of the game i'm a student of the sport i take notes and i pass the test test isn't around for like another year huh ah! the rock is your intercontinental champion at this time and there is a huge pop for him he comes out the curtain he is uh heel at this time he's making his way up the card um his turnaround is so fast and so fascinating because as Rocky Maivia, he was getting booed out of the arena for being just so boring. And he joins the Nation of Domination towards the end of 97. And here, just a few months later, his charisma shines through so hard. 
And you can just tell that he's going to be a star. And the, the people are starting to pick up on it here. Yeah, I also wrote that this is the point where Rock starts um, allegedly um, juicing. Everybody's Because I do feel like he he's one. I think that's where my previous comment was from. He's one where, like, even, like, a month ago, like, he was an average. He was in shape, but he was just an average-sized dude. Now he's got, like, these muscles and he's got the roid neck going where you have, like, the, the like, triangle neck. Yeah. Well, I think what it was is, you know, catering changed around this time. They started bringing in a lot more, like, carrots and cucumbers and celery, and they bought a machine to juice, so. They're just, they're just eating better. How many different juice jokes can I make in one night? We will find out. Juice. Juice. This is juice. Baba juice, jibba baba juice, yeah. Um, so The Rock comes out with the Nation of Domination, Kama Mustafa and Mark Henry, conspicuous by his absence as one D'Lo Brown, who was uh, <clears throat> in kayfabe injured with a rib injury not too long before this. He is he is not there with The Rock. Uh, the Nation is actually sent back by the referee, leaving The Rock out there by himself to face The Beast, the former UFC fighter, the mixed martial artist himself, Dan the Beast Severin. Uh... His his theme song is fucking great. It's like like it, it's it's hardcore. And have you seen the man's mustache? He looks like a pedophile, Burt no, Reynolds. No, as I wrote. Don't you fucking call Dan Severin a pedophile? What's wrong with you? That's a man. Men with just mustaches are terrifying looking. He's so sweaty too. Oh yeah, he was. Comes down with that gray t-shirt, just baked in sweat. You don't like the Justin mustache on a guy, huh? No, I don't. You did it once and you look like a pedophile. <laughs> well, yeah, I also don't have like a very chiseled manly face like Dan Severin, though. I have a very puffy face. I'm a fat fuck. No, you're not. I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I am. But um, So we did, we have a disagreement on Dan the Beast Severin's mustache. Um, I think that he would be a much bigger star today than he was back then because he's got the the shoot wrestling ability. He's an actual badass athlete, but at the time they didn't really care about that because the UFC had just gotten started. Um, as I said, Severn had recently injured Mr. D'Lo Brown. You got something to say? No, no, no. I was looking at my notes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, although the rock did get quite a pop when he came out, there are some light Rocky sucks chance to start this match. Uh, Dan Severin starts with taking some shoot shoot downs as Jim Ross goes over his accolades, you know, the former UFC champion. Uh, the Rock takes some cheap shots and regains control. Dan Severin gets back and uh, he he, go, he goes after the joints of The Rock. He goes for some joint manipulation, to which I wonder, is that Dan the B. Severin or is that Rob Van Dam? <laughs> joint manipulation? Uh. Uh. Uh, the the Rock gains the upper hand. There's a lot of gaining upper hand. Not a lot happens. This is the shortest match on the on the night. The crowd starts getting hot when The Rock makes his comeback. Jim Ross ponders what would happen if we saw a Dan the B Severn can Shamrock final. I do wonder because we're not going to get that. Both guys go down. D'Lo Brown makes his presence known, and he now has a chest protector. You know, the rib injury. Mm -hmm. This is a storyline that would actually last for quite some time um, where he would use this chest protector to help gain the upper hand to gain wins. He hits a big frog splash on Dan Severn. The nation, the rest of the nation runs out four minutes after they were banned from ringside to distract the referee. Uh, The Rock thinks, I'm sorry, the referee thinks nothing of this. He turns around and sees The Rock covering Dan Severn and counts the one, two, three. Very short match. 
I gave it the same rating as the Jarrett Shamrock match because it was essentially the same, uh, 4.5 out of 10. I gave it a 5.5 out of 10, but I also have notes written and like I we watched, like you said, we watched this two and a half weeks ago. I wrote that the rock looks really green and his chops look like shit. You don't like the rock's chop? Jesus, the rock's chocks. You don't like the rock's chops. <laughs> Um, I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't recall, like, them look like, I don't recall, it just, I don't, I don't know, maybe they didn't land, I don't, I don't know. Kenta Kobashi, he is not. Kenta Kobashi! God damn it. People can't even see that, they just heard you slapping my chest. That's how you do a chest. Kenta Kobashi! No! Spousal abuse. It's domestic abuse on the Muzzy Wrestling Podcast. When I do it, it's fake. When you do it, it's spousal <laughs> abuse. When my wife does it. She's kayfabe me. When I do it, I'm beating the fuck out of her. <laughs> I wouldn't do that for anybody who's listening who has like access to a phone in 911. Sam is perfectly safe. Please help. Don't you fucking call. <laughs> We're gonna... Don't... Don't, <laughs> don't you say anything. That was me slapping my own arm. Let's move on before <laughs> things get too weird. Um, so it's The Rock versus Ken Shamrock in the final. They will meet later tonight to determine the king of the ring. It's The Rock versus The Rock. Commercial break. And we're back. Uh, we get a video about the recently debuted Al Snow. He's been wearing different outfits. He's been a real rascal. He stole Jerry the King Lawler's crown. He's trying to get a meeting with Vince McMahon. We don't know why, but he's trying to get a meeting with Vince McMahon. He wants to, I don't know if he wants to be a WWF superstar or what, but he's he's crazy, honey. He's got the head, the uh, the severed head, simply known as head. Al Snow talks to head. He's, he's, he's crazy. He's out of this world. He's cuckoo. Yeah, I, I'm going to be real honest. Again, I don't remember what Al Snow looked like because, again, two and a half weeks. But I wrote Al Snow isn't really ugly enough for this storyline. Al Snow is an all right looking guy. He had the, uh, you know. Yeah, so maybe my, my thing still stands where he's not ugly enough for this storyline. What, to be crazy? Is that what you're saying? I possibly? Can I don't know. not be an attractive crazy person? No, you can't. I don't, I don't know where this was going. Are you sexist? Are you sexist? No, what? <laughs> I'm sexist towards Brian Christopher's dumbass. I'll tell you that. Fuck him. He's... <laughs> Ever since late 1997, he's easily the worst part of the show. Every time he comes out with a stupid laugh, like, <laughs> I want to throw my fucking TV through a window. I think I just don't like him by default because he's a lawler. Oh, yeah, because he's the product of Jerry, Lo- Jerry Lawler's freaking loins. That's, our, uh, that's, a, that's a bad start. Uh, but then he is Brian Christopher, and that doesn't help him at all. Um, at this time, he is with Scott Taylor. They are known as Too Hot and Too Sexy. They would later be known as Scotty Too Hottie and Grandmaster Sex A. There is a difference. And uh, they would uh, go on to be too cool. And at that point, they would actually be over and be pretty popular. But here, they are dog shit and nobody cares. <laughs> Have you ever heard Jim Ross say Grandmaster Sex A? No, I don't think so. Do you know the, the fucking uh, teacher in South Park, Mr. Garrison? Yes. There's a clip of, uh, Lol, or I'm sorry, Jim Ross saying Grandmaster Sexy, and he sounds just like that. He's like, Grandmaster Sexy. Oh, no. It's so funny. Um, Al Snow is shown backstage. He's talking to the head. This match is going to be Al Snow and Head versus Too Much. And if Al Snow and Head win, Al Snow gets his meeting with Vince McMahon. 
And uh, Snow says that the head don't lay down for anybody. So he's been taking notes from the old heartbreak kid. <laughs> uh, as Al Snow and Head make their way out, Jim Ross says, there's a lot of head fans in Pittsburgh. Uh, get it? What does everybody want? Head? Yeah. The Pittsburgh crowd wants some head? Yeah. We're talking, we're talking fellatio yeah. jokes here in 1998. Um... We learned that Jerry the King Lawler is going to be the special guest referee in this match, huh? All I wrote about Lawler here is, what a greasy, creepy bitch. Hey, at least he wasn't on commentary. No, but he was still there, and that's bad enough. Also, JR really needs someone with him, because, uh, as I wrote, like, JR was not very good by himself. He needs someone to play off of. Oh, so you know how, so far in the show, the opening match was six and a half minutes the two king of the ring matches were like five minutes apiece yeah this goes for eight and a half minutes that's about eight minutes too long it's a it's <laughs> about eight and a half minutes too long absolutely uh they they're supposed to be comedy throughout this match al snow's yelling at the head for not being aware um the crowd is chanting big time for head because lol uh jim ross is alone on commentary as we said Great. Al Snow starts off by kicking uh, Scott Taylor's ass. Brian Christopher's dumbass comes in. Uh, Brian Christopher complains that Al Snow pulled his hair and then pulls Al Snow's hair because his dad is the referee. So as a heel referee, he will admonish Al Snow and let too much get away with anything because it's psychology. Fuck Jerry Lawler. Al Snow's going for the cover. Lawler takes forever to count, you know, because he's a heel. Uh, there is a sign in the crowd with some inside baseball that informs us that Kane is Isaac Yankum. So someone was on the fucking Wrestling Observer message boards in 98. <laughs> Thank you for that insight, random 98 fan. We appreciate you. I bet that dude was so happy. He's like, oh, the whole secret's ruined now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he went home to never touch a woman. <clears throat> uh, Al Snow hits a big running clothesline. I don't, there's nothing to say here, man. Nothing happens. It's so bad and so boring and nobody cares. Too much or just jobbers beyond repair at this point. Al Snow is trying, and granted, I do think he's entertaining in this character. Um, too much gains control. They're whooping on Al Snow. Snow comes back with some nice technical wrestling moves. We got a wheelbarrow German suplex from the Snowman. Al Snow makes the hot tag to head. And Jim Ross says... Head is the legal man. What the hell am I saying? Do you have anything about this? No, I, I wrote I, down, I was like, okay, so if Head is legal, why is Al Snow still in? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, if you tag someone in, you have to get out of the ring, typically. Yeah, the ref should be counting down five seconds for Al Snow to get out. What is this, fucking uh, PWG? There's no tag rules? There's no tag rules in PWG? Very loose. They don't Uh-oh. give a shit. It's like, it's an AEW too, but I'm not allowed to say that. So I said PWG. They just let everybody run roughshod. Um, Al Snow is laying waste to too much because they are jobbing pieces of shit. Um, but Jerry Lawler won't count. And in the middle of all this distraction, Brian Christopher attaches a head and shoulders shampoo bottle to the head and then pins it get it because it yes. now has shoulders yeah so it's shoulders were you on the explained map. this to me during the the i didn't think it was funny then and i don't think it's funny now 
What a fucking atrocity. What garbage. This is around the point where I wrote, they're sure stuffing a lot of bullshit into a short show. This show overall was only like, what, two and a half hours? Yeah, it's like, it's your average length, but they stuff a lot of, uh, a lot of nonsense into it. This was bad. The crowd is dead silent because they either don't understand what just happened or they don't care, or both. Jim Ross acknowledges how bad that match was. He's like, that was our first and likely last time with that piece of business right there. <laughs> um, I gave it a 2 out of 10. I gave it a 3.5, and I feel like that's very forgiving. I think my 2 must have just been for Al Snow trying his best. <laughs> um, we head into commercial. So if you're noticing at this point, quality of the show is not too high. Um, I've got a 5, a 4.5, a 4.5, and a 2. Um, Sam, I do believe, went a little bit higher than me, but to this point, uh, we're four matches into a nine-match card, and, uh, yeah, not, not very quality, but we will see if things turn around. As we come back for commercial break, we get a recap of two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw that Owen Hart attacked X-Pac. The week prior, X-Pac makes the, uh, makes a revenge attack and splits Owen's head open with a steel chair. And this is going to lead into our fifth match of the night, X-Pac versus Owen Hart. And this should be pretty good. Theoretically speaking. Uh, X-Pac comes out with China. Name a more tragic love story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That made me, I wrote that. It makes me real sad. They did porn together. That makes everything better. <laughs> they, they, it doesn't because they were, you know, it, it was bad. They used to do drugs and now China's deceased. At least X-Pac seems to be doing well. Isn't he, like, kind of, like, saying he wants to wrestle again? Yeah, uh, X-Pac's gotten himself in good shape. He was in bad ways for a while, alcohol and drug addiction. and He was never quite as bad as, like, Scott Hall got, but he was definitely not doing well. And uh, he seemed to kind of start turning it around about the early part of the 10s, and these days seems like a pretty put-together dude. Very smart. Very smart in the industry. I would like to see him in the Rumble. Do it as one, two, three kid. <laughs> But he's not a kid. The one, two, three man. The one, two, three man is one beefy man. The one, two, three drugette. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was mean. I'm sorry, Xbox, if you're listening to this. I apologize. One, two, three is just him counting his fucking Vicodins in 2004. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. One, two, three. What comes after three? Four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven months until Owen Hart is dropping oh, the no. um, as Owen Hart makes his way to the ring. This is dark sided. Owen Hart. <laughs> A lot of deceased on this show. We just had Brian Christopher tragically in the last match. Owen Hart in this match. Um, <laughs> too much is push in the previous match. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get to some wrestling. This is uh, the first like battle between two guys on this show that, that, that you think that given enough time could put out in something real special. Uh, X-Pac starts things out with a big drop kick to the outside of the ring to start things off. Jim Ross reminds us that, as I mentioned earlier, Owen Hart won the King of the Ring tournament in 1994. Owen Hart uses his power and technical prowess to overpower X-Pac. There is nice athleticism on display between these two. Two real workers, workers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that X-Pac left school at age 14 to wrestle. Um, 
So I'm glad that worked out for him. Because if not, who knows where he'd be. Yeah. Uh, Al Snow and Head are on the Superstar Hotline answering calls, and you have to imagine that Al Snow is upset, but Head took the pin and has to just be fuming, would be my guess. Yeah, I'm sure Head wasn't very happy. God damn it, get the Head on the phone. He has to talk to the people. <laughs> well, we have an idea. I have an idea. The severed Head that talks to people. Thoughts? Uh, uh, do you not know how to do the Walt voice anymore? Are you confused because Sean Waltman is in this match? Is that who you think I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, Vince, what do you want me to do? That sounds nothing like X-Pac, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan, you suck, pal! Remember that? When X-Pac comes back and he's talking about Hogan and Nash and Hall on Raw? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Owen Hart is the youngest of 12 children. I believe we would have covered that in the Brett podcast, but Stu Hart was just going nuts. Back in his heyday, like every time Helen pops another one out, he's like, "All right, Helen, I'm gonna get in the other room and stretch her out." Yeah. <laughs> Missionary position tonight, Helen. That's all I. That's all. That's all I... <laughs> that woman, like, how, like, how the fuck do you have that many? Like, I feel like I would be. We we don't have a, a child yet. But I feel like if we did, like, I would be exhausted. Like, I see parents with, like, two kids, and they look like they want to die. Helen Hart, out here back in the day, talking about she didn't want to be part of the wrestling industry forever, yet has 12 fucking children. So even if one of them doesn't marry a wrestler, you still have 11 more that will. Uh, what a what a dynasty the Hearts are. Oh, Owen Hart gives X-Pac a suplex on the announce table. And then locks on a very long headlock because you have to work the holds. Gotta work the holds. Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler main event hype some more. Uh, they are really pushing the Kane versus Steve Austin match. It's kind of funny how much they don't really hype Undertaker versus Mankind at all until it happens. And that's the match that ends up being talked about the most throughout this entire thing. I feel like they like they were count. I mean, they obviously knew it was going to be over because of Austin, but I feel like they kind of knew probably that that match was going to overshadow the other one. Yeah, like uh, Jim Ross between commercial breaks, like, uh, hey, boss, do you want us to talk about the hell in a cell? No, Foley's going to fucking kill himself. We'll get it over. Just talk about Kane. <laughs> He's going to set himself on fire. Um, back in the ring, X-Pog makes a comeback, and he, like, goes for the Bronco Buster, but doesn't... Owen doesn't sell it, and it's just it gets kind of sloppy here. This match gets kind of sloppy. There's some weird bumps from the top rope. I believe Owen Hart loses his footing, and for two technically sound guys, it, it does kind of fall apart. Um, Mark Henry makes his way out. Owen Hart was part of the Nation of Domination. I left that out because I'm a bad journalist. Why? Um, well, because, you know, after Brett left, they kind of pushed Owen as, like, the lone wolf or whatever to go against DX, and then Triple H buried him anyway. And he decided there was really nothing else for Owen to do but turn heel because they had cooled him off so bad. And, you know, the Nation is a popular heel faction, so Owen joins the, the Nation. Does Owen ever come back from this? Like, because I feel like he's just, like, there. He never really gets elevated past this point again Sad. i believe he drops from the nation right before he passed he uh started a tag team with jeff jarrett and then of course they had the blue blazer gimmick come back for him and we all know how that ended so 
Mark Henry comes out though, and he is uh, he he gives a big splash to X Pac, and out comes late nineteen ninety eight Vader. And have you ever seen a sadder sight than late nineteen ninety eight Vader? Was this before or after Vince made him go to fat camp? I believe it's like right before. Yeah, there was like I believe the story is that they sent like Vader and Yokozuna to lose weight, and all they did was come back like six weeks later heavier because they would sneak out and get fried chicken together. <laughs> Just imagine Yokozuna just sitting there eating a bucket of the Colonel's finest. I did write a note, and this is kind of off topic. I wrote a note that Mark Henry is the Omos of 1998. Is it because he's black? It's because he wasn't very good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Big guy was, you know, not a technically sound wrestler yet. I can see that. Definitely not as tall, but still an intimidating presence. It's funny. uh, Vader runs down, hits Mark Henry, and then falls. Like, he just trips over his own dumbass self. Oh, no. Uh, Owen Hart locks in a sharpshooter at X-Pac, but China gets into the ring and hits him with a DDT. Uh, Vader and Henry fight up the aisle together. X-Pac covers Owen Hart for the 1-2-3. Uh, somewhere in there, Owen Hart's eye got fucked up. He's bleeding from the eye. We have a lot of eye problems on this night. And uh, that's it. I gave it a 6 out of 10. I was definitely hoping for more. It started off pretty well. It fell apart there towards the end, and then you add in the Vader and Mark Henry bullshit and more outside interference from China, and it's nothing special to me, unfortunately. Yeah, I give it a 7.5 because, again, I was rating based on my first match curve where I gave it a 7, so I'd probably go down to like a 6, 6.5. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're capable of more, that's for sure, but compared to everything else on the show so far, best match so far. If that's, yes. if that's saying anything. Yes, it got a little sloppy. I wrote a little sloppy and weird, but entertaining. Kind of like me. I'm a little bit sloppy. A little bit weird. But I'm entertaining. Mm, no. <sighs> Sorry, I had a spit bill up in my throat. Uh, we have kind of like a weird peacock cut because all of a sudden Paul Bearer is just coming out. There's like no real lead up to it. Uh, he takes the microphone and he says that he wouldn't miss this night for the world. And he curses the Undertaker to hell. That was really bad. To hell. That was a little better. To hell. Yeah, the first time he kind of went Walt there. Yeah, I wrote that. I curse you to hell. I don't, I, yeah, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I wrote the Kane Paul Bear storyline has more holes than Swiss cheese. Tremendous. The story is that Paul Bear is saying that uh, Kane is a young boy, you know, a young burnt boy not going to school because of the, the shame and the pain. He would watch superstars on the WWF programming in the, in the several years prior, and he would watch his brother, and he wanted to be just like Mr. Calloway. Yeah, I think that's why I wrote that note, because, like, Paul Bear made it seem like Kane never knew that Paul Bear was his father, and then, like, all of a sudden he's, like, saying how, like, in high school Kane was calling him daddy and shit. And I'm like, but you made it seem like Kane just figured out you're his dad. Yeah, and, like, they kind of talk about Kane, like, watching this stuff like he was, like, a child. But The Undertaker had only been around for seven years. And assuming that Kane is, like, at least, like, late 20s to 30 at this point, then he would have been, like, late teens. Like, he wouldn't have been, like, a child. I don't know. It's, 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 It's bullshit. It's fake. 
Yeah. It's uh, it's a fucking storyline between a dude who's got scars and stuff and he wears a red mask and he sets people on fire versus an undead zombie. So we're over here nitpicking the age of the child in question. <laughs> who's the dumb ones? Us? Probably. Kane couldn't be a real child. He couldn't go out and play with the other kids because he was a burnt, scarred, diseased individual. Paul Bear asks, And how do you think that made me feel? And someone in the crowd yells, Like a fat piece of shit! <laughs> I didn't realize that! <laughs> I think I rewinded it. I was... Yeah, this is like one dude like in the third row is like, Like a fat piece of shit! <laughs> oh, God. Um, Rip. All this to say that Paul Bear believes and tells us that Kane is going to become the WWF champion tonight. Commercial break. These Peacock commercials kill me. They ruin my life. I mean, I think you can pay <laughs> for like a premium version of Peacock. I don't know how much it is. Oh, I'll how to pay. Do it, I'll pay but... for it if they can make it so I can search for shit again. I just want to watch Diesel matches. I want to type in Diesel. I don't want to have to go to In Your House 4 and then have to fast forward to the main event. I want it to go right to the fucking Diesel match. I don't think that's ever going to be an option. I'm about to just move to the UK so I can have the network back. Want to go? No. I mean, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're moving. Uh, much like this show is moving along. And uh, up next, match number six is the second of the unannounced bonus matches for the night. The sm- bonus match that we needed so badly. Throughout the history of the WWF, you've had many great tag teams explode and have epic battles. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, the mega powers explode. Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, the rockers explode. But I don't think anything ever touched the energy, the spark, the passion in the arena that we had tonight when the smoking guns explode. (laughs) Billy and Bart Gun face off on pay-per-view. Can you feel it? Nobody gave a fuck. No, they can't. Um, uh, Yeah, so this is going to be for the WWF Tag Team Championships. It is the New Age Outlaws. The Road Dog Jesse James and the Badass Billy Gunn versus the New Midnight Express, which is um, Bodacious Bob Holly, uh, better known as Hardcore Holly, or as I like to call him, Dumb Bitch, with his tag team partner, Bombastic Bart, Bart Gunn, who um, the very next night on Raw would just suddenly be in the uh, Brawl for All tournament. And they are being brought to the ring by Jim Cornette. The road dog takes the microphone to start things off, gives us his typical opening, and he says, My partner is harder than steel, and my rap can melt it. What does that even mean? I don't know. Okay. But Billy Gunn is hard, and so am I, to watch the former tag team fight each other. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Jerry Lawler says today that, that the kids today really vibe with DX. And uh, Jerry Lawler does know a thing or two about the kids today, so I guess I would take his word for it. (laughs) Um, I question, why is this happening? Billy and Bart go face-to-face, and they kind of treat it like it's this big thing. No one cares. It's so quiet. It's so fucking quiet. Yeah, the crowd was dead during this whole match. I have a note that you asked me, wait, is that... Is that Brawl for All Bart Gun? <laughs> Wait, no. You said Fall Brawl Bart Gun. <laughs> Is that Fall Brawl Bart Gun right there? He's going to Turner in the fall. <laughs> I, 
didn't know the correct terminology for it. Oh my god. WCW fucked up. They should have hired him after he lost the Brawl for All, the Butterbean at WrestleMania, and called him Fall Brawl for All Bar Gun. <laughs> it would have got over. Uh, Billy tells his own brother to suck it. That's not very nice. No. Would you tell your sibling to suck it? No, would you? No. I don't have a sibling, so not... this is, like, weird. Yeah, but... I don't like any of this. <laughs> uh, Hardcore Holly gets in, and I wrote, How do you like me now? Because that was the intro to his Hardcore Holly theme. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not. Um, I write that this is painfully boring. Uh, there is a funny bit. Lawler and Jerry... Uh, Lawler and JR can't remember which one of the Midnight Express is bodacious and which one is bombastic. Like, they go back and forth. We're like, bodacious Bart? Bombastic Bart? Bodacious Bob? Oh, no, it's bombastic Bart and bodacious Bob. Like, they go back and forth on it. Oh, no. Um, They're saying that the Outlaws are at a disadvantage here because they were not told who they were facing before this match, uh, so they had no time to study their opponents. Um... So they have no time to review tape, but it's fucking fake. So, <laughs> did you know that Hardcore Holly was employed by the WWE, by World Wrestling Entertainment, until two thousand and nine? What? He came in in like nineteen ninety three or four, and he stayed employed until two thousand and nine. That's about like ten years too much. Did you know that Bob Holly has a WWE Championship match against Brock Lesnar on pay-per-view? I did not know that. The Royal Rumble 2004. Did he get his ass handed to him? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because what happened was, because Hardcore Holly had a reputation of trying to be like a tough guy and like break in the new kids, you know, a bully essentially. And he had a match on SmackDown with Lesnar and Lesnar was going to give him a powerbomb and Holly sandbagged him. So Lesnar just fucking dropped him and broke his neck. And uh, didn't get punished, because fuck that. So the the story was that Hardcore Holly came back as like a baby face, like ready to get vengeance for his broken neck, and they have a pay-per-view match, and Lesnar kicks the shit out of him in like five minutes and wins. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, Jim Cornette is trying to get the crowd into this by slapping the mat. No one cares. Uh, Cornette hits Billy Gunn with the Tag Team Championship belt. That's not enough. Cornette tries to interfere again, but China China's had a huge role in this show to this point. She's in, well, even the next match she's there. She's part of, like, three matches in a row. Yeah, yeah. China is big time here in 98. Uh, the New Age Outlaws come in. They hit a double hot shot. I don't know what I mean by that. I don't remember if they just, like, throw Holly over the ropes or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter. Billy Gunn pins Hardcore Holly. They retain the championship. Um, and that's it. The tag titles have been defended. Yeah, I think the ending was a little shoddy because I wrote a note that says the level of obliviousness we're supposed to believe about the refs is actually hilarious. So it went by hot shot, like there might have been like a low blow or something like that. Yeah, probably. Because, yeah, the refereeing, like like I said, Jim Cornette hits Billy Gunn with a belt, then tries to interfere again, then China hits him with a low blow, and like none of this gets seen. God, Vince McMahon must not... He, I've heard that the dental insurance is pretty good, but he must not cover vision all that well. Because <laughs> the refs can't see what's going on. Yeah, like, I get it's fake, and, like, that's why they have... I feel like that's why the refs are always distracted now, to make it more believable. 
But there are points where, like, you watch it and you're like, there's no way, like, you hear a crowd's reaction. You think you would turn your head and realize something shady is going down. That is something, because, I mean, I guess I get it. You're being distracted. But, like, throughout wrestling history, referees have just been stupid. Because you can, like you said, if I heard the crowd getting, like, really hot, I would turn around and be like, what's that? Or there's been times in history where someone just gets obliterated with a steel chair. Like, you would hear, like, a... Yeah, you, you would, would hear the like, steel what? chair. Yeah, you would just turn around. But you know what? It's it's fake, and it doesn't matter. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's all a work. It's all a work. It's not a shoot. <laughs> the only thing that was shot was the uh, commercial that was filmed. It's time for another commercial break. At this point, I opened up beer number two, Samuel Adams' Oktoberfest. I believe I had the fall variety pack. I think you did. When we return from commercial, we recap the King of the Ring bracket to this point. We're leading into our finals. Out to do color commentary is the one and only Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H. And he does so without a shirt. Because to sit at ringside with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler... He needed to cool down a little bit. I think I said that to him. Like, why isn't he wearing a shirt? And you're like, I don't know. Because I've <laughs> jacked to the gills. And because when I speak, I run hot. And I want to show off my rippling pectorials to China. Yeah, so while Triple H... And my future dad. Yeah, so while Triple H was on... And my future wife. Can I speak? Yes. <laughs> well, Triple H was on American commentary and with... Sean! I'm done. Sorry. With Lawler and JR, China was at the Spanish announce table she calling sure commentary. Was. And I remember looking at you and being like, wait, China speaks Spanish? What's her name? Like, in <laughs> real life, like, I was trying to deduce if she had, like, a Hispanic heritage or not. Hispanic Joni, baby. <laughs> um... Yeah, she sure did, and Triple H has some some great things to say about that. We'll get there in due time. Um, As The Rock makes his way out, Triple H says, I'm here to see The Rock get his butt kicked, maybe. I wrote a note, (laughs) and this was later. I I wrote a note, and this was later on, but young Triple H sounds like he's doing a Donald Trump impression. Dude, he's I'll say this. Triple H is awful in 1998, (laughs) and I have no idea how he ever got over He's so bad at talking and existing and just all these things. He, uh, he's, he's your winner from last year. He comes out. What did you say the other day? You're like, my Triple H impression is actually really good if we're talking about early Triple H. Yeah. Because he doesn't have like the weird gruff voice yet. Yeah. Like now he just speaks like a dude, like a regular person. But like even back in the day, like Triple H sounded like he was doing a Triple H impression. <laughs> he doesn't sound like that's his voice. Like, Nothing about yeah. me is natural, including my muscles in five years. Yeah. He's like projected a lot. And you could tell that he was, like, not putting on a voice it per se, but definitely, like, projecting his voice in a different way than his natural speaking voice. He's trying to be tough. Yes. Kim Shamrock comes out looking intense as all get up. Sixteen men started this tournament. We are now down to two. Triple H starts things off by he takes shots at the, at the, at the uh, I'm so used to saying the Fed, the, the dub. WCW, he uh, talks about how this match is between two young, hungry competitors and not between a bunch of old dinosaurs and fossils. Oh, I didn't even realize that. I didn't make a note about that. 
What do you think about Jerry Lawler and Triple H being on the same commentary team together? I don't mind Triple H on commentary. I thought he was entertaining. He said some funny stuff that I think he was just oblivious to that we will speak about. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't mind him on commentary. Like I I don't hate Triple H the way you hate Triple H. Oh, he's a fucking doofus. Um, Shamrock starts things off pretty strong. They do, as as you previously pointed to, they point to China in ringside doing Spanish commentary. And I believe Lawler asks, what's she saying? And Triple H says, I don't know, something about Taco Bell. <laughs> and then JR says something about Triple H being bilingual. And Triple H says, JR, I'm by a lot of things, but lingual ain't one of them. Wait, did I mean to say that? <laughs> Triple H coming out on national television. Would it shock you if Triple H was bisexual? No. Were there ever rumors that him and Sean were... <laughs> what? Were what? Can, I do, can you do that one more time? <laughs> Boinking? It's, I, don't, I don't know. China was a cover-up. Because wasn't that a rumor that like Sean was not straight? It was a rumor that Sean was porking it with Vince... That they had a little something something going on. Um, maybe. I think Triple H just likes to try to be funny. And he said something and was like, oh shit. Yeah. My future wife won't marry me now. I mean, I mean, good on him for not like saying something homophobic and like trying to cover that up. Like, I'm not queer. <laughs> like, he kind of was just like, oh, did I mean to say that? And they kind of all just moved on from it. Yeah. Which for the time is shocking, but also very... I, I enjoyed it as I support yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> same here. We're, we are, if nothing, a supportive podcast here at the Muzzy Wrestling Podcast. We hope that all walks of, li- walks of life live a happy life, regardless of your, your skin color, your race, your sexuality. We just want everybody to be happy. Your gender. Except for 1998 Triple H. I don't <laughs> care if he's happy. Um, the Rock taunts Triple H. Triple H spits water at him. So Triple H starting with the water spitting early in his career. Match is pretty pretty slow to start things out. Um, Triple H makes a bunch of dick jokes yep. at 28 years old. You know, a yep. grown adult man. Shamrock's ankle, after being previously injured and then having already wrestled once today and being targeted by Jeff Jarrett, is hurting. The Rock hits him with a nice DDT. Uh, Triple H... Gives us some foreshadowing when he mentions a line about Mr. Man saying, It's not about how close you are with the owner. <laughs> really, Paul? You want to go back and say that again to me one time? <laughs> yeah, um, I wrote that um, he was being a suck up. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. You married the boss's daughter. Um, so previous to that, so I'm not sure how far into the match this was, but you could see- clearly see the rock calling spot. During oh. this match. Yeah, he's, he's he's the ring general. He's leading Sham Sham through the rock. <laughs> through the match? What? Through the rock. He's leading Shamrock through himself. I ship it. Ooh, woo. Um, The rock hits the people's elbow for a two count. Weird to see that being just used as a transitional move. It wasn't quite a finisher yet. The people's elbow is a shit finisher. Come at me. Oh my god. Brandon's gonna stab you in the chest. It do, it doesn't, I, I liked it more in like that sense where it was like a transitional move. Cause like, it doesn't look like it, like you go down and like, you're clearly not really hitting the person. It, it looks like it can like do damage, but 
Like, yeah, not it only doesn't that, look like it's enough to pin someone. The setup is so long, too, that you're just laying on the ground for about 48 seconds waiting for the rock to hit you with a basic-ass elbow drop. It's, yeah, it's like a cool-looking move and stuff, and don't get me wrong, like I enjoy it, but it doesn't look like something that should ever finish a match. But the good thing is, it's a work. So it's a work to finish. Much like Owen's heart death was a work, and he's probably sitting somewhere in Canada right now drinking mimosas and watching the Undertaker New Day special on Netflix and choosing his own destiny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hell. I'm so sorry. I love Owen Hart so much. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. I would like to think that is what happened. (laughs) Oh, and if you're listening to this, we love you, pal. (laughs) God almighty. Anchor's going to kick us off their platform. (laughs) They don't give a shit that only 12 people listen to us. They're going to hear this and go, no. (laughs) What are you doing? Oh, my God. The Rock is destroying Ken Shamrock, just laying into him, but can't seem to keep him down. Shamrock mounts a comeback, hits a big slam. Both men are down. Shamrock makes the comeback. The crowd starts to get into it. There's back and forth action, but fatigue is starting to set in because both of these men have already wrestled once tonight. Triple H makes a point saying, there's not a person in this arena sitting down. And then the camera pans around, showing that pretty much everybody in the arena is on their (laughs) seats. Uh, Shamrock rolls through and locks on an ankle lock, and The Rock taps out, and your 1998 King of the Ring winner is Ken Shamrock. And nobody gives a fuck. It's it gets a pop, you know. It's good for him. He he moves on to the next point of his career, which is delivering a god awful promo and losing his push the next night on Raw. Yeah. I gave her a six point seven five out of ten. My favorite match on the card so far. It's the longest. It lasts about fourteen minutes. There's some good time for some back and forth. Triple H, for as stupid as he is, had some funny lines, whether voluntary or not. And, you know, The Rock's a big star in the making. Shamrock, they tried to make him. This is good business. I'm here for it. Yeah, this is definitely, like, this pay-per-view is kind of where you can see that, like, if you're not charismatic and good on the mic, like, you're not going to make it. I do apologize. I had to run to the refrigerator and crack open another Coors Light. The power of editing. Instead of being 35 seconds, I'll probably only be like two. <laughs> or I might leave it to give you the all the emotional impact for what's about to come. The cell is lowering. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the second ever Hell in a Cell match. And this crowd has no idea what they're about to witness. What was the first uh, Hell in a Cell? Uh, that would have been Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at Bad Blood 97. It's the one where Kane debuts at the end. Right, right, okay. That's gotta be Kane. Kane and, well, Kane's not in this match. I was gonna say Kane and Helena Sells, name a more iconic duo, but he's not in this match, so never mind. Undertaker and Helena Sells, name a more iconic duo. Do you think when Herman Kane died of COVID 19 after posting on Facebook and Twitter about how COVID 19 was a hoax, that Satan played that clip when he came down to hell? That's gotta be Kane! I hope so. <laughs> that's gotta, that's gotta be Herman Cain. <laughs> uh, rest in shit, Herman. Throw it up. Um, yeah, it's time. Are you ready to dive back into this Hell in a Cell match? Yes, sir. 
Mankind comes out first to surprisingly little response. And although this match made Mankind into the biggest star possible that he was that led him to the biggest push they would ever get, they kind of killed him in 1998 to me. Because throughout 1997, they built him up as a babyface as Mankind. They introduced, they brought Cactus Jack in for one night. Introduced the dude love character to the people. And then in 98, it's almost like they didn't know what to do with him. He started the year off in a tag team with Terry Funk, Chainsaw Charlie, as Cactus Jack. They went through to Mania. They had a program with the Outlaws. They lost that. Uh, put him into the dude love character, and he had a couple pay-per-view matches with Austin for the championship, and then he lost those, and then immediately transitioned back to Mankind. And I feel like all the switches back and forth kind of killed his reaction with the crowd because they just didn't, there was nothing consistent going on with him. Yeah, and like we talked about this, like even like leading up to this when we were doing our watch through, like Mankind's just all of a sudden back, and there's really no explanation why. And there's, like, one week build-up to this match. Yeah, it's because Taker and Mankind hadn't been feuding for a long time, since, like, the end of 1996. They had kind of touched base here and there, but it's almost like they picked back up on where they had left off, out of nowhere. Foley had been feuding with Austin, and then they put Kane with Austin, and was just like, all right, Foley, kick it up with Taker, and you're in the cell for some reason. And Foley, to his credit, delivered a pretty solid promo on Raw the week before to try to build it up. But there, was, there wasn't there was a whole lot of hype going into this. And it almost didn't make sense as to why they would be having a Hell in a Cell match. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're lucky they did. He opens the cell door, but he decides that he wants to go to the top of the cell to start things off. He throws a steel chair up there. He climbs to the top. And the gong goes off. And out comes the locker room leader, The Undertaker. Broken ankle and all. Undertaker had a broken ankle coming into this match, honey. He climbed... Go ahead. I mentioned this to you. There's... I know that everyone says it was broken. He says it was broken. There's no way that, like, he was walking that... Like, unless he got, like, 27 injections in his ankle. There's no way that, like... The Undertaker is the locker room leader. He's here to protect kayfabe. He's an undead zombie. He's not going to let a little thing like a broken bone deter him. I just, I feel like he like fights he through the pain for the industry. I honey. understand, but I feel like he would have been limping. Like he showed no, like you would have winced. You would have done something. If he your ankle was one broken. time in this match, broken ankle undertaker comes out. He's got the loud pyro. He climbs up to the top of the cell to meet his foe mankind. They're in danger. I didn't know Gary Hart was over here. <laughs> You're in danger. Foley uh, starts throwing chair shots the Undertaker's way, and just within a first few seconds, you just get the feeling that something is off about this. Because at top of that cell, it's like foreshadowing. They almost fall through it in like the first 20 seconds. Taker steps on a piece of the cage the wrong way and starts to cave in on itself. And luckily, the whole thing didn't fucking fall. And they exchange some blows. The Undertaker and Mankind end up towards the edge of the cell. Taker lands a few punches, and he grabs McFoley and launches him off the fucking cell through the announce table 15 feet below, and we hear the infamous Jim Ross quote, Good God Almighty, they killed him! <laughs> this happens one minute into this match. Yeah. They don't fuck around. No. They come out, and McFoley says, Mark, I want you to fucking kill me in the first minute, please. Let me say that again. In the first minute, please. 
And Taker's like, well, I don't got to take any damn bumps, do I? <laughs> Paul's like, no, just toss me off the cell, Mark. It'll be good. <laughs> um, have a nice day. Have a nice day. Jim Ross, th- fuck. The crowd comes unglued. They come fucking unglued. And I say that word a lot. It's the most damnedest thing in the, that I've ever seen. This man, a minute in, just sacrificed his life and well-being for this fake carnival bullshit. And the crowd is losing their mind. Jim Ross is at ringside on the microphone pleading for a doctor to come out. Several referees run down. Terry Funk, who hasn't even been associated with Mankind in a few months and kayfabe is here because his real-life best friend may be fucking dead, laying there under the stage. And Undertaker doesn't know what to do. He's standing up on top of the cell just like, oh, shit. The referees are putting him on on Mankind on a stretcher. The crowd is booing because they had the audacity to possibly end this match after a man just sacrificed for this industry. Vince is out there. Vince didn't break character at this time. He's full-ass heel. He's out there looking like, oh, fuck. God damn, I hope this is the worst thing that happens to us in the next 12 months. I certainly do. And this was planned. Like, this move was planned. Yeah, this was, they intended to do this. Um, f- there's it, it's hard to find words for this. Taker's just standing on top of the cell. They start to raise the cage because they need to make room for the officials and for the stretcher. So Taker's just standing up there, yeah. going up towards the ceiling, probably looking down 30 feet at this catastrophe of a car crash that he just caused, watching his co-worker, well-respected wrestling industry icon Mick Foley suffer for the people Suffer for that paycheck. Suffer for that contract. Suffer because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, you wouldn't pay me enough to be in Taker's position. Like, if you would have raised that cage with me on it, I'd be like, no. I'd be, like, clinging to, like, the the, the links. Like, oh, I bet he, I bet he was no. freaking out. Because that's, even if you're not afraid of heights, he got pretty high at that point. Yeah, and, like, there was, like, a fake piece somewhere in there. If you thought Dan Severin doing joint manipulation was the highest someone would get on this show, you were sadly mistaken. <laughs> but um, Callbacks. Remember earlier? I, I do. I was here. Uh, so they start to wheel Taker up the ramp on the stretcher, and there's Foley. They start to wheel Foley, I apologize, uh, to a loud Undertaker chant. And uh, this has been about three minutes. Three minutes mm-hmm. in total. From entrance to Foley flying off to crowd coming unglued to Taker standing there. Foley gets off the stretcher. And he's smiling. He wants to get back at it. Taker's starting to climb down. Foley climbs up. Taker says, fuck this. And climbs back up to meet Take, uh, McFoley. The crowd is electric. They have never seen anything like this yet. They fight for about three more seconds, and The Undertaker chokeslams Mick Foley through the fucking cage to the ring below. Through the steel cage onto the hard, unforgiving mat in a steel chair for extra measure. Hits Mick Foley right in the fucking mouth. Oof. And the crowd is going ballistic. This man... For all intents and purposes, might be dead. He looks dead. Yeah. For like the first 10 seconds. He hits the mat with a thud and just doesn't move. And Jerry Lawler says, that's it, he's dead. Now, yeah, like we've talked about this before. So this was planned, but the piece wasn't supposed to break. I've heard that it wasn't supposed to break like that. That they were supposed to, it was supposed to break slowly and they would both go down together in a controlled fall. 
Now, to me, I think it's because Foley was already so out of it, but he doesn't get much height on the chokeslam, which probably saved his life. Because if Taker would have lifted him up, Foley probably would have fucking fallen, like, further and landed on the back of his head and broken his neck. Yeah. He landed just perfect enough, like, flat back, that he didn't die on impact. But the sound of Foley's carcass hitting the fucking mat. And the crowd is losing their fucking minds. There's a man possibly dead or near death in the ring. The Undertaker standing on the cell having caused this pain. Terry Funk into the ring again. Yeah. His best friend is laying there in agony while the crowd is losing their minds. Yeah, everyone was still out there because, like, they... I don't know if everyone coming out after the slam to the table was kayfabe, but, like, they were still out there. And, like, this is when you could tell, like, people were, like, legit concerned. Yeah. At this point, they... They're going to continue. Undertaker, in the one moment where he winces in this match, comes down from the top of the cell, hits the mat for a brief second, winces, and then just shoots right back into kayfabe because you have to protect this industry. It's sacred. Kayfabe means something to Mark Calloway. That man must have been on so many. If his ankle was legitimately broken, that man had to be on so many drugs. To provide a distraction... Because Mick Foley may still be dead, and they don't know if he can continue. Terry Funk calls an audible, and he goes up to The Undertaker and tells him to chokeslam him. The Undertaker chokeslams Terry Funk out of his shoes. Put yourself in this scenario. There is a crowd of 15,000, 17,000 people losing their fucking marbles. Your best friend in the world, who you love and respect, is on the mat for a carnival. For a fake, scripted fight. Probably, definitely hurt could be on the brink of death, and you have to continue this charade. You can't give it up. You can't let it be known that there's actual danger. So you go up to the seven-foot-tall man dressed like a zombie, and you say, Goozle me, Mark. I need you to chokeslam me to help Cactus. <laughs> Terry Funk's in his 50s! And he tells The Undertaker to chokeslam him for the fucking industry. Terry Funk, who retired, air quotes, months prior... For the industry... Goes on me, Mark. We gotta help out. We gotta make room and time for Cactus. And Undertaker obliges because he choke slams Terry Funk so hard that Terry Funk's shoes come off in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. In watching it back with knowing, even knowing that Foley's okay, this is the craziest thing you'll ever see in the WWF WWE again. They'll never touch it no. because it's unfiltered. It's real. It's it's pain. It's sacrifice for this fucking carnival industry. Not the realest thing for eleven months. Okay, well, that's a whole other story that we need to cover because that's <sighs> Mick Foley can hardly stand up, but they're continuing. He's trying to. He's bleeding from the mouth. His tooth has ended up in his nose. The Undertaker starts hitting. Mick Foley some more. They're going to continue fighting. Foley tries to get the steel stairs to hit the Undertaker. He can't lift them up because his body's broken. Yeah. He is a broken man, but you must continue for the people. You must continue for this business. Undertaker blasts Mick Foley with the steel stairs. Undertaker has color. He's juiced. He's bleeding because that's what you need. We haven't had enough. You need the Undertaker to bleed. Because it's the right thing to do. 
Slice that fucking forehead open, Mark, for the people in Pittsburgh. That's what you need to do. Do you have any? I'm, I'm, this, this match brings out so many emotions in me. Do, what, what are your thoughts? Like to this point, you heard was, me go on about It was crazy. So I remember times. we were watching it. I was like, "Is that a fucking tooth in his nose?" Like that the, was like my biggest concern. <laughs> the time that we watched it under the influence, what were you thinking at that point? I don't recall. You don't remember? I, I don't remember. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't <sighs> remember. I remember that moment in time, but I don't remember. And I guess because you didn't see this at the time, so having not seen this match for 20 years after it happened, does anything? that you've seen in the wrestling industry, barring Owen, strike as big of a chord with you as this match does? No, because you never see... I don't think we've ever watched a match where someone like legitimately could have died or got paralyzed or anything like that. It's, There's been some botched moves. Like We've definitely seen like botched... This It's a spectacle. Yeah. I don't know... There's no other word to describe this than a fucking spectacle. There's nothing... They continue fighting. They're fighting at ringside. Mick Foley still, he's concussed, he's injured. He still hits a pile driver on a steel chair on The Undertaker. And then this crazy son of a bitch, Michael Foley, brings out a bag of thumbtacks. Because we haven't had enough pain. We haven't had enough punishment yet. There's more, Mick. You have to go through more. I feel like that man, to this day, in 2021, still carries thumbtacks in his pocket because you just never know when you'll need them. Yeah, just in case shit gets too real, he has a bag of thumbtacks to get to get downtown with. <laughs> he lays the thumbtacks out on the mat, and he applies the, the mandible claw to the Undertaker. The Undertaker starts fainting. But then he stands up with all 300 pounds of Foley on his back and gives him a backdrop onto the thumbtacks. Mick Foley has flown off the cell, flown through the cell, and is now a human pincushion, honey. What? For this fucking fake industry. But is he done? No, because the Undertaker picks Foley up and gives him a choke slam on the tax, because fuck it, why not? Yeah, why wouldn't you? I wrote down that that looked like, I don't know if it was this choke slam, or no, it was something else. It was a tombstone that looked like it legitimately should have paralyzed them. Like, it didn't look like a good one. Yeah, so Undertaker finishes the match out, like Sam says. Picks Foley up, his limp falling carcass of a body. Hits a tombstone that it looks like Foley could barely hold himself up for for the three count. The Undertaker wins. Hell in a cell. The referees put Mick Foley on a stretcher. He says, nay, I will walk out of here on my own accord. Because of this business. End scene. What do you say? What do you even say? It's so nuts. Like, the whole thing is just nuts. And I feel like that they don't probably get enough credit for that match. It's... I, as a wrestling match, it's kind of... It's, it's, it's long, but a lot of it is fully being stretchered out. The, the structure of the match is disjointed and kind of, kind of, I can't say bad. Like, as a pure wrestling match, it's not a wrestling match. It's a straight spectacle is the only word I can think of. And I, I don't know, I don't even know how to rate it. I went, I go 9.5 out of 10. It's about as close to 10 as you can get. Just the sacrifices that Mick Foley made and The Undertaker with his broken ankle, no selling, yeah. and continuing this, showing no concern, even though you know he was probably freaking out. But kayfabe is important, brother. It's insane. It's, it's, 
words can't describe this match and what it means in the grand scheme of things. And I, I can't do it any justice. Yeah. Like, Taker, like, Taker never broke kayfabe at all, which is nuts to me. Because, like, I mean, he was pretty, like, he was one of those people that never broke kayfabe. Like, again, not to keep bringing up Owen Hart, but the only time I think I've ever seen him legitimately break kayfabe was when he came out after that. And, you know, there was, like, the whole past two years where he's finally started breaking character and wearing his thin blue line t-shirts and making Instagram videos of him and Michelle McCool hunting together. <laughs> because nothing is sacred. Well, yeah, but, like, now he's just Mark Calloway. Like, he's retired. He can go off and just be Republican wherever he wants. The Undertaker's starting to break character. Life hasn't been the same since then. Like, nothing's real anymore. Yeah, nothing like... Nothing matters anymore. Like, that last ride, the, like, five-part special or whatever, like, we were so stoked for it, and then we watched it, and we're just like, nothing is sacred. The, that was my... The last beacon of hope for this life is gone, now that The Undertaker is just being a guy. Because, like, even if he... Because I, I, can I handle... still... I still say I don't trust him to never come back and wrestle another match. But at this point, like, even if he came back in character, it'd be like, we know you're not this dude. It's never the same again. And and it's very selfish of me. I understand that. He's a man. He did the shit for 30 years. He deserves to live his life. But selfishly, as a wrestling fan, the last sacred bit of good in this industry is gone. I can handle Kane being a mayor. I can't handle The Undertaker being a guy. But this is life... Nothing lasts forever, and everything good ends up being taken away from you. We have one more match left here, folks. That wasn't even it. We still have the main event. First blood for the WWF Championship. Stone Cold Steve Austin, your reigning defending WWF Champion of the world, defending against Kane. That last match took a lot out of me. I apologize. Kane's only been on the main roster for about eight months here, getting that main event push. He came in. I very few characters in wrestling history that I like as much as early Kane. From like the late '97 all throughout '98, he's one of my favorites of all time. He was so menacing and terrifying in the suit and the song and the mask. And maybe it helped that I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I ate that shit up with a wooden spoon and a metal spoon and a plastic spoon. What about a spork? It's hard to eat. Yeah, yeah. A little bit gets through the cracks at the end, but a spoon spork. A spork is a pretty underrated tool. You don't really see sporks. Like, do they sell metal sporks at a store? I don't think so. The only time I ever get sporks is when I get KFC Famous Bowls. Yeah, sporks are, like, resigned for high school cafeterias and Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) And that's about it. Kane comes out the curtain wearing a full-body red suit. Both arms. Usually one arm was bare, but tonight both arms are covered. He's got gloves. He's got a red mask. How will Stone Cold make this man bleed? And if he does, how are we going to see it? I wish, this is obviously not what happened, I wish, like, Stone Cold would have taken, like, a piece of paper and just found, like, a spot of skin and just gave him, like, a (laughs) paper cut. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Austin just rips Kane's suit open and stabs him in the chest. It's just like, oh, hell, I win, son. (laughs) That's how you win the damn thing. Bring a goddamn knife to the 20 by 20 squared circle. Oh, hell, yeah. I drank beer after that. I felt... There's so many moments that I think that we should be doing a video podcast, but maybe that day will come. 
Steve Austin comes out and the crowd loses their mind. You think they would be dead after the last match, but when Steve Austin comes out that curtain, the crowd comes unglued because he's over and he's the champion and it's 1998 and he's here to fuck shit up. He's here to do business. 1998 Steve Austin on a general basis, your thoughts on the visceral reaction that man creates. It's unlike anything ever that we're ever going to see again in WWE. Like people get like, like John Cena gets huge reactions when he comes back. I feel like part timers when they come back, they get huge reactions, but it's nothing compared. Even like Stone Cold Steve Austin coming back to like cut a promo. Like nowadays, like it's not the same magic as it was back in 1998. No, like. Like you said, um, Edge gets great reactions. There are people that get great reactions. But on a sustained week-to-week basis, in terms of building, shattering pops, Austin in 98 to 99, I don't see it ever being touched again. Uh-uh. The, the, it's, it's a phenomenon. It's a fucking phenomenon. That's the only way that I can describe it. Austin starts things out hot. He's not here to fuck around. He's not here to waste time. He's he's throwing shots at Kane. He's hitting him with the belt. He's undoing the turnbuckle pad. He wants to win this match. He wants to make Glenn Jacobs bleed. Kane gains the upper hand. The crowd is hot. Hot, hot, hot. As things start to unwind a little bit, the, the cell starts lowering that we just saw. JR wants to know who, who is lowering the cell. Kane is beating Steve Austin's ass because he is a big red monster. He is he is not a mortal man, and he wants that WWF championship. There was never like any explanation to who was dropping the cell, was there? No, I don't believe so. Cause like I just assumed it was Paul Bearer, but like there was never real like explanation of what was happening. Yeah, I don't think that they do explain it. I really don't. Uh, the cell starts going back up with Kane hanging on it, and it was at this point that my beautiful wife said to me, I would kill a motherfucker for some pumpkin cheesecake. <laughs> I don't remember wh- why that was happening or why I was saying that. <laughs> I don't either, but that does sound pretty good. Uh, Vince McMahon and Sable are looking on, I believe from a press box. Uh, Kane and Austin fight up the ramp because it is a 1998 WWF main event, so they will go around the arena. Kane is dominating, but Steve Austin, he gets his shots in here and there to regain a little bit of momentum. They make their way back to the ring with Austin in firm control. He tries to get the mask off of Kane, but he, he has, he has no, he has no success. He cannot get that mask off. This is not a spirit Halloween mask. This is a professionally made mask. You will not get this off of the big red machine. No, not if you don't try hard enough. Are you saying Steve Austin doesn't try? You're saying I don't try to get the damn mask? What? 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 I want a damn pumpkin cheesecake, son. That do be sounding tasty. Yeah, I got one of them. <laughs> Sons of bitches for all stone cold E.T. Austin hits Kane with a uh, fan off of a desk, not like a not not like a person, but like a oscillating like desk fan, kind of like my Honeywell right here. I'm about to turn it on, it's getting toasty in this bitch. I was gonna say I'm warm. I might go turn the air on. We're almost done. Stick it through. Kane throws Stone Cold Steve Austin into the ref because you have to have a ref bump in 1998 WWF. Kane hits a top rope clothesline, and then who comes running out with a steel chair, other than fucking Mick Foley? 
<laughs> Mankind's a sacrifice. That's one thing that I think gets incredibly overlooked on the show. Foley does the Hell in a Cell and then doesn't run in in the main event. Like, he went backstage. Vince was like, God damn it, pal, don't ever do that shit again. Get out there. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking scrambled eggs for brains at this point, probably. Yeah. Just running out with a chair shot. <laughs> Foley's probably coming out like, is my match starting yet? <laughs> Vince, I don't remember what I just did. Well, you've got to go back out there, so I fucking hope you get it sorted out in your dumb brain, Mick. Austin hits Foley with a stunner. Austin hits Kane with a stunner. And here comes The Undertaker. The Undertaker is here. He's, uh, he, uh, he still had his problems with Kane. He obviously still has problems with mankind. Uh, he goes to nail Kane with a steel chair, but he accidentally waffles Austin with the chair when Kane ducks, and Austin's bloody. Oh no. Uh, the Undertaker pours gasoline on the referee in order to wake him up because he's been down for so long, and he then gets hit with a chair shot by Kane. Austin gets back up, bleeding, and he attacks Kane with a steel chair. The referee comes to, realizes that Steve Austin has been blessed. The referee comes to, realizes that Austin has been busted open, and calls for the bell. Your new WWF champion, Kane. Do, do. I can't do Kane's theme. <laughs> new champion. Thank, yeah, thank you. Um, I don't know if it's the Peacock edit or if the pay-per-view did this. They go off the air real quick. Kane has the belt. Austin looks kind of pissed off, and they're off the air. And that is King of the Ring 1998. Kane would go on to lose the WWF Championship the next night to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Not sure if they really wanted Kane to win the belt or if they booked a match where Kane couldn't actually bleed and they didn't want him to set himself on fire, so they had to throw him the belt for a night just to take it off the next night. Uh, the next night had some of the highest ratings in Raw history. Crowd hot for Austin getting the belt back, but Kane's one and only world championship reign until 2010. Oh, he had the ECW title in 2008, if you count that. But that's not a know. world championship, like you just stated. That's it's it's. I don't count it. Do you count it? I mean, did he ever have like the Intercontinental or anything like that? I mean, yeah, he had the Intercontinental and Tag Titles. Yeah, I'm no, talking ECW like is world not a world championship. That's like, fucking right. It's ECW world champ. That's different. So he won the world championship in 2010. So it took 12 years for Kane to reach the top of the mountain again. But that's the King of the Ring 1998. It's uh, it's Attitude Era, man. Um, that entire show is saved by mankind's crazy ass sacrificing. Yeah. If you take that match away. Or make it a normal match. I'm sure it would have been good, but that would have been just a completely underwhelming pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, your general thoughts. Yeah, it was pretty... Everything in, like, the Attitude Era to me is just, like, okay. Like, it was clearly just all spectacle. Yeah, and there was, there was a lot of bad on this show. The King of the Ring semifinals were both very average. Yeah. The Too Much and Al Snow match was dribble. The New Age Outlaws Midnight Express match was just boring and had no heat. X-Pac and Owen Hart had weird chemistry to them. King of the Ring final, okay. Kane versus Austin, good match. I gave it a 7.5. We missed our ratings for that. Yeah, I think I gave it a 9. Um, but yeah, that Hell in a Cell. It's a moment that will go on forever in WWE history. It's been 21 years and it's still regarded as one of the most 
monumental moments in the history of the WWF slash WWE. I hope we never see anything like it again. No. But also, Kinda. it made Foley's career. Yeah. And he'll say that. All the death matches he did with Terry Funk in Japan and all the ECW and WCW in his WWF tenure, he was made by this match. I mean, I understand it's PG now, but, like, there's no moments like that. Like, there's no, like, star-making moments. Like, yeah, you can say, like, there's, like, Biggie winning money in the bank fucking Roman Reigns' heel turn. Like, there's stars now, but there's not, like, moments where you can be like, yes, this is where everything clicked. This is where, like, this person shot into another millennia. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, they do, they have their moments where people are made now, but nothing on this level. And whenever they try to do a big spectacle, it's always like they have a crash pad or something, which is the safe way to do it, and that's how you should do it. But it's just, it'll never, it'll never be like this again. Mm-mm. Wrestling. Unless you watch GCW. Life peaked in 1998. Little six and seven year old. Uh, that's it. We hope that you enjoyed this run through of this show. Honey, we got ourselves a request to do a show. <laughs> Something oh. I did not expect. Um, from our dear listener, Nick. Opelowski, I do apologize if I'm saying your last name wrong, buddy. And I also apologize for not responding to you a few months ago. I didn't realize that you can get messages through a Facebook page that is like a business or something. Uh, It has been requested, honey, that we watch and review the 1992 Royal Rumble pay-per-view. I wasn't alive then. No, no, you weren't. (laughs) Your mom was pregnant. Yeah. About six months before you popped out. Yeah. You think... Pregnant Bonnie Washburn watched Ric Flair win the strap in that night in 1992. Absolutely not. Um, So, Nick, my man, we will watch that show. I guess that'll probably be our next episode. I don't know uh, when we're going to do it. It might be next week. It might be in uh, November. It might be in December. We're not on a timeline. I expected us to do this episode two weeks ago, and here we are. But, you know. Life happens. Life happens. We're busy. We're adults. We're busy. And to be honest, we don't make any money from this. So it's, you know, it's really, it's on our time. It's on our schedule. As always, we do truly appreciate anybody who listens to this. Anybody who checks us out. Even if it's for three minutes. Even if it's for 30 seconds. If you're still here an hour and 55 minutes or so into this, thank you very much. You are what keeps us going. Find us on Twitter. I am at Smorlax, S-M-O-R-E-L-A-X-187. I'm at Sammy, please, S-A-M-I-P-L-S. We are on Twitter collectively at Muzzy WrestlePod. We kind of underwent a rebranding. We're technically just Muzzy Wrestling Podcast because I felt like less words make for a more appealing social media. But you can call us whatever you want. You can call us those dipshits that do bad impressions. And his beautiful wife. Aww. Good, yeah, good shit. Um, but yeah, so that's it for this week. We'll probably be back soon with the 1992 Royal Rumble. Thank you for listening. Um, have a nice day, and we'll see you next time. Break it down.